also had to choose the topics ahead of time. And um, the, the goal was to get three months ahead of time with, with messages so that the, the programming team could, you know, get things prepared. Uh, so one February I sat down and I was a month behind, so I did Aprils, and then I decided, well, let me go ahead and, and actually at three months ahead, and so I prepared May's topics. We keep on a rotating basis, and during the month of May, uh, it was time to speak on evangelism. So I, I picked a topic that uh, Jesus had talked about a lot. I thought that would be pretty safe. Don't you think it would be safe to talk about something that Jesus talks about? Okay. Well, so the month of May, the topic that I, I prepared and sent to the programming team was what Jesus said about hell. Because Jesus had talked a lot about hell. And everything was fine in my mind until I got to about the 1st of May, about a Sunday and a half before Mother's Day. And I'm speaking on what Jesus said about hell. <laughs> so here's how I tried to rescue the service. During the introduction, I said, if what I share today keeps one person out of hell, that person's mom will be eternally grateful. <laughs> now, now you, you don't realize, particularly for, for Pastor Chris, when, when he's at, any pastor's at a church for a long period of time, the pressure on Mother's Day, Father's Day, Easter, Christmas, to come up with a, a new message. So, so, Pastor Chris, Next year, if you'd like to borrow my message on what Jesus had to say about hell on Mother's Day, feel, feel free. Uh, I do have one request, though. Please don't give me credit for it. <laughs> Jesus did a lot of teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And, and one of the times that he, he was talking about the kingdom of heaven, he described it as, as dividing people into sheeps and goats. And it was interesting, when he talked to both the, the, the sheep group and the goat group, that neither one realized when they were doing what Jesus was commenting on. The sheep didn't realize when they were doing what Jesus wanted them to do. The goats didn't realize when they weren't doing what Jesus didn't want them to do. And I, I used that as a point in my uh, Father's Day message a, a couple of years ago, talking about dads as heroes and how oftentimes they just don't even realize that they are. And I know that I haven't gotten the, my months you know, mixed up. This is Mother's Day. But I thought, let me at least give a shout out to the dads here as well because you're just as important. And dads, you are heroes. And oftentimes you don't necessarily understand that. And that's common. Jesus talked about that in explaining the kingdom of heaven. But isn't that also true about moms? They are so into the forest they can't see the trees. And moms, you do realize how critically important, how vitally important your role is and how much of an impact you have on the lives of your children, the future of your children. And you might be thinking, yeah, when? <laughs> yeah. When, when can you see? It's so hard to see a life-changing moment in a child that you live with. 
And yet, every selfless act, every sacrifice of every day with every child, you're planting seeds of life in your children that will have eternal consequences. Now, there are many moms in the Bible, but I'd like to take a look at one in particular this morning, the very first mom in the Bible, Eve. Um, anytime that you're reading a story, reading an account, and a character is introduced, that character is defined. That character is described. The, the, the most important attribute or, or something about it so that you understand something about that person. And in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we read that then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper, Prince of there, Ezer, that's the Hebrew word helper, Ezer, that is right for him. Now, it's very easy to misunderstand the full impact of that word just looking at the English word. In fact, I looked up the definition of helper in dictionary.com. A person who gives assistance or support. Moms, aren't you excited about that? Trust me, that does not even come close to the impact of that Hebrew word, ezer. Um, the word ezer is used in the Old Testament 21 times. Two times it's referring to Eve. Three times it's referring to the nation of Israel reaching out to a foreign nation for military help. There's a word helper. But the rest of the times, all um, 16 of them, it's talking about God as Israel's helper. Let me give you an example from Deuteronomy chapter 33. Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you. God is a helper to Israel. God is an easer to Israel. So that means that he gives assistance and support. Well, yeah, but that's just the beginning of it. Actually, in the Hebrew language, ezer is a term for a warrior. It, it was used to, uh, uh, as, as names for Hebrew children, but only boys. The, the, the word ezer was used as a name. It was also used as a suffix on boy names, Eliezer, Eliezer, Eben, Ezer. And, and so when, when, you, when you look at the meaning of the Hebrew word there, God is saying that Eve will be an Ezer to Adam. She's not just this light little fluffy helper. No, she's a warrior. She's a warrior princess. And she's fashioned as a warrior of relationships with the unique capacity to deliver Adam from the one thing in creation that wasn't good, Adam being alone. And the capacity doesn't stop with just her relationship with her husband. Uh, you women are warriors in relationships with your children, in relationships with other people. You know, um, for example, my wife Peggy is absolutely 
as our children were growing up, she was on top of them with their relationships, their friends, their friends' relationships. She just is a relationship guru. That, that's just um, the, the way that she was created, and that's the way that you ladies are created by God. Ladies, if you're married, or husbands, if you didn't realize this, let me describe your wife to you. Created by God to be your strongest ally in helping you in your two biggest relationships. One, your relationship with the Heavenly Father. Two, your relationship with your wife. She's your strongest ally. She's also <laughs> the first one that will stand up to you when you're veering off course. Oh, I got awfully quiet in this family life church. There have been a, a handful of times, maybe more, that over the years that, that my wife has had to have a come to Jesus meeting with me. And I'm so glad that she did. Not that I enjoyed them during the discussion time. But any time that she had one of those discussions with me, she was spot on. She was, she was just dead on. And so we see Eve here being this warrior princess. I, I missed something in my notes, so I wanted to, let me just give you the outline of the message today. I'm talking about Eve the helper, Eve the crown of creation, then Eve the brokenhearted, and Eve the redeemed. So we talked about Eve as, as the helper, but we've been defining that correctly as, as the warrior princess. Let's talk about Eve as the crown of creation, because we can learn more about Eve from the creation story. On day one, God created matter, energy, time, the laws of science. He basically created something out of nothing and then put the laws of science into place. Oh, oh, by the way, he violated those laws of science when he created something out of nothing. One of the most universally accepted uh, laws is the first law of thermodynamics that basically says matter cannot be created. Neither matter nor energy can be created or destroyed. But it's this world. He can do what he wants to. Day two, he separated the waters and, and, and created the atmosphere. And, and it was like God started off with a lump of clay on a potter's wheel. And each day he fashioned it and, and gave it a little bit more detail and a little bit more precision. And, and it, it's also like God was conducting an orchestra. And it started off kind of soft. And the music started off kind of slow. And, and then it built from there on day three, dry land appeared. And God brought life out of non-life, abiogenesis. Uh, atheistic scientists have been attempting to do the same ever since. Totally unsuccessful. How do you bring life out of non-life? Well, God can do it. Because he's God. And then that's what he did on, on day three. He brought... Uh, forth trees and plants and vegetation. And, and then on day four, he created the sun, the moon, the stars, the, 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 the solar system, and, and, it, and the orchestra. 
It's getting louder. It's getting bigger. It's getting stronger. There, there's, there's more body to it. Uh, day five, he, he creates the sea creatures and, and the air creatures. Um, and and it, it's just picking up. It's picking up. And then day six, the final day of creation, he starts off with the land creatures. Everything that creeps and crawls along the, the earth. And then he does something that he has not done in any of the other days of creation. Genesis chapter 1 says it this way. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You've heard the expression, saving the best for the last? Well, that's what God was doing with creation. When he made Adam and then made Eve, he was saving the best for last. But when he created Adam, he wasn't done. The orchestra was building up. The music was starting to reach the climax, but it hadn't reached that yet. And he created Adam, and things were building, and you could even sense a tension in, in, the, in the universe. And it wasn't until after he created Eve that the crescendo happened. The cymbals went and the drum and everything. And then there was silence. As everybody looked, all the creatures, the cherubim, the seraphim, angels looked. And I could, I could just sense, this is my imagination. It's not in scripture. I could just sense Michael, the archangel, looking. God said, what's that? As he looked down on Eve. And then Adam woke up and said, whoa, man. He liked what God had done. Oh, by the way, that, that's how you got your name, ladies. Whoa, man. Sorry. Okay. Well, it, it looked better in my notes than you thought it was. Up until that point, God had said everything was good. After he created Eve, he said everything is very good. Very good. Saving the best for last is absolutely what God did. Yes, Adam and Eve are a different form of creation than any other creation. We're created in the image of God, image of the likeness of God. But you ladies, you are the crown of God's creation. Before you're a mom, before you're a wife, simply as a woman, you are the crown of God's creation. And so Eve not only is a warrior princess, but she's a warrior princess who is to be prized. It, there's a reason, dads, why as much as you love your sons, your daughters are the apple of your eye. Where did you get that from? Yeah, your Heavenly Father. One thing that I have always endeavored to do is to treat my Heavenly Father's spiritual daughter very well. Because she's the apple of his eye. And I don't want to mess with her. Because I don't want to mess with him. I don't want to have him upset with me with how I'm, I'm treating her. So, so... Ladies, I, I, I know this being Mother's Day, if you're 
not a biological mom, this can be a tough Sunday to attend church. And I, I wanted to, to share some thoughts that, that you are valuable to God, whether you're a, a biological mom or not. As Pastor Chris was talking about being a spiritual mom, there's things you can do to be a blessing. You, you may be unmarried. You don't have to be married to be a woman with value and honor. Just being a woman you're the crown of creation in God's eyes. And then Adam woke up and saw Eve, and he did the very smart thing. He chose her, and they lived happily ever after, right? Would have been nice if they did, but they didn't. So let's talk about Eve the brokenhearted. Because some of you might be able to identify with this next portion of Eve's life. If you know the story, it was kind of rough for Eve. We don't know how long after that. But the next thing that we read about in the Bible is Adam and Eve, they're falling. Eve was, was deceived by the serpent. Um, and, and how he deceived her, he said, if you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. Well, how dumb was that? Because God had already said, we're going to make them like us. Adam and Eve were already like God. They didn't need to disobey God to be like God. And, and it'd be really nice if we could point fingers at Adam and Eve and say, shame, 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 shame. But we really shouldn't do that because we all do the same things. God said, here is life. In fact, here's the tree of life. You can eat from that. Well, Adam and Eve made the wrong choice. They chose the wrong tree. And basically they said, you know what, God? And this is Adam talking because Adam was the one that had gotten the instruction from God. I know what you said, but I think I'm going to choose to do it differently. I'm going to get what you said I should have, but I'm going to do it without you. And it didn't work out for Adam. And when we do that, it doesn't work out for us either. It's never good when we do that. And so Adam and Eve lost paradise. And God put a consequence on the serpent, consequence on Eve, consequence on Adam. And I call those gender hurts because he, he gave a different consequence to Eve than he gave to Adam. One of the reasons that Eve was created was to address the aloneness with Adam. And yet the consequence that God put on Eve was that relationships are no longer going to work well for you. You're a warrior princess of relationships, and yet your relationship with your husband, you're going to try and control him, and he's going to try and rule over you. And the very thing that she was created to Dispel is going to end up coming upon her. And, and so there's an almost universal gender ache among women that ask this question, am I lovely? Am I worth being loved? 
And then God pronounced a consequence on Adam. He said, Adam, I had put you in charge of the garden. In fact, I had told you, you will rule over all of my creation. But now, because you disobeyed me, the ground's not going to produce the harvest for you as easily as it would have. It's also going to produce thorns and thistles. And you're going to have to work hard, dude. And not only that, but in the end, the land that you were supposed to subdue, it's going to overtake you and it's going to overcome you and you're going to return to it. So the consequence to Adam was that he was going to feel inadequate. The almost universal gender ache among us men. And it's not that we feel inadequate. We, 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 we know we are. What we fear is people finding out. You ever wonder why, why us guys put up a, a, a big front? Oh, yeah. Mm. Because we, we don't want anybody to see our inadequacy. Because we know not only are we having to struggle to make a living, struggle to, to work to provide, in the end, the ground overtakes us. In the end, we fail. And, and, and there's just something inside of us guys that, that just feel inadequate because of that. Women wondering if they're worthy of being loved enough, and men wonder, you know, how, how they can hide their feelings of inadequacy. And, and, and you know, I, I kind of cut the question, God, why would you do that? Why, why set things up that's in the natural impossible to deal with? Well, I believe the reason why he did that is because Adam had disobeyed God by saying, I'm going to do it on my own. And God set up a consequence for both Adam and Eve that it could only be fixed by him. Guys, your feeling of inadequacy, your generic, can only be dealt with with a relationship with God. Now, you may have a sin issue uh, if you haven't been born again. If you haven't accepted what Jesus did for you on the cross, that, that's universal sin issue. Men, women, all of us have that issue until that's dealt with. But then after that, we've got a living issue. Where if we're going to deal with the gender ache, we're going to have to submit our lives to God. On an ongoing daily basis, hourly basis. Anytime that we go off on our own, we're going off into an ache. We're going off into problems. We're going off into trouble. We're going off into things that just aren't going to work for us. It's only when we submit ourselves to God that the ache can actually be dealt with for both men and women. The only cure for Eve for the first level of brokenness, brokenheartedness, 
was to reach out to God. But then she had a second issue, second problem, second tragedy. Two of her sons didn't get along. Anybody else in the church building today ever have any type of issues with sibling rivalry? Hmm, hmm. I can still vividly remember the day that the warrior princess in charge of relationships in our house set our four children down on the living room sofa, and she had to come to Jesus meeting with them. And she said, I do not like the way you are treating each other. Your friends are going to come and go. You friends, the friends you have today won't be here several years from now. When you're grown and you're adults, you may not have any friends from right now, but you will look at each other. Look at each other right now. Because that's who will be in your life for the rest of your lives. And you will at least act like you like each other. It's normal for children to not get along. It's normal. Unfortunately, with Cain and Abel, it got into serious conflict. And Cain killed his brother Abel. And as a consequence of that, God kicked Cain out of that area. So, Eve lost her son, Abel, and then Cain and at least one of his sisters, they say Cain and his wife, left the area. There's no mention in the Bible whether they ever came back or had any contact. We just don't know one way or the other. Don't know if they ever had any family reunions. But in one sense, at least for a season, if not for a lifetime, Eve lost three children. Lost Cain, lost uh, his brother, lost his sister. Three children. We've got a woman in in our church that uh, about 10 years ago, her at that time uh, 18-year-old son, 16-year-old son, um, had a uh, serious heart condition that they were not aware of, got sick one weekend, and died in her arms. Uh, that family, 10 years later, had, hasn't fully recovered from it. I don't know that they ever will. She's healthier now than, than she's been in a long time emotionally, spiritually. But how do you recover from that? How does Eve recover from losing three children? Once again, God's the only way that, that she can. It, it, it's, but it's, it's devastating. Particularly if you're a warrior princess of relationships. To lose relationships. And as I said, some of you might be able to identify with that. You might have had some, some tragedy in, in your past. And I, I just want to say that you're not crazy for feeling the way that you do. And, and you may have had some people tell you the same thing that they, they told this, this mom back in uh, Michigan. Oh, come on, it, it's time for you to move on. Time for you to get over it. Don't ever say that to a mom. 
they know when they can move on and when they can't. They know the journey that they're walking with God. And, and so it, it's, it's tough. Eve went through a long period of her life where she was just brokenhearted because of the loss. But it didn't stop there. It didn't stay there. Because God blessed her with some more children. And she had to be a warrior princess of those relationships. And she had a son by the name of Seth who was born when Adam was 130 years old. Now, I have no idea how old Adam and Eve were when uh, Cain and Abel were born or how old Cain and Abel were when things happened. But those were all, that, that, there's a lot of years going on there before Seth came along. And then uh, Seth was 105 years old when he had a son named Enosh. And it's very interesting what the Bible says. After Enosh was born in Genesis chapter 4, at that time people first began to worship the Lord by name. I believe that was a direct result of Eve, the warrior princess, pouring into her son, pouring into her grandson, making a difference in the world. What are some life lessons that we can learn from Eve? All mothers are daughters of Eve. All women are daughters of Eve. And like you, Eve's a fallen person. We all don't measure up. None of us are perfect. All of us need God in our lives. But just like Eve and just like Adam, we all matter to God. Single, married, parent, not, doesn't matter. We're all special to God. We all were created at the end of creation. Now, because of my age, I read the, the novel 1984. Any of you, anybody read it? Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm not seeing a whole lot of young hands going up. But I read it before 1984. Okay, yes, okay. And, and it, it, in there, it's just an allegory about, um, about human life. And there's farm animals, and one of the, the, the uh, founding principles is that all animals are created equal. But you get partway through the book, and there's a follow-up corollary that says, but some animals are more equal than others. Well, men and women are, men and women are created equal, but ladies, you're the crowning glory of God's creation. It wasn't until you were created that God was done, that God was finished. And while both men and women are created to reflect the image of God, ladies, there's just something special about you. Now, um, the next point that, that I want to make is, is uh, I'm, I'm going to go off on what might seem like to be a rabbit trail, but I, I'm going to tie this into the message. Um, when you think of everything that God's made, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've been a, across a lot of the United States. I've seen some of the majestic things, the, the American Rockies, 
Uh, I've been to Yosemite. I've been to the Grand Tetons. I've been to the Grand Canyon. been to, to Zion Canyon. Um, it, it, there's some magnificence out there, even, even in fallen creation. But uh, that doesn't compare to what God did when he created a woman. And, and also, uh, as I was preparing this message, there's a special bird that showed up in our backyard. We've got some feeders outside the uh, kitchen window, and we get the normal goldfinches and, and chickadees and whatnot. And, and you have to understand that, that I grew up in a family of bird watchers. Uh, my parents were members of the National Audubon Society, which is a bird watching society. My dad, on vacations, would get up early and go drive out to, to marsh areas, to swamps. He would be entertained looking at birds. And, and let's just show the next slide. This bird showed up on my uh, feeder. It's the Baltimore Oriole. This is the third time I've ever seen a Baltimore Oriole. Uh, the, the, the next to last time was about uh, 10 years ago on a golf course. Before that, I saw it just a few times uh, growing up. And mom and dad got real excited whenever the Baltimore Orioles showed up. I described them a as a robin with brighter color. Let's, let's take a look at the next slide. You see how much of the bird is, has color on it. It's an absolute beautiful bird, and we value what is rare. And so anytime that you see something that, that you don't see very often, it's a special occasion. And I got, I, I'll be honest, I got real excited about it. I even called Peg into the kitchen. I said, Peg, Peg, come here. But, but don't, don't come too fast. Um, and she got there. She was able to see, see the bird as well. And then I had this thought. Yeah, I was excited about seeing the Baltimore Oriole. I was excited about seeing the bird, beautiful bird, beautiful creation of God. But I was much more excited about seeing Peg. Ladies, you are the crown of God's creation. There's nothing that God has created more beautiful than you. And you need to understand that about yourselves. Because life hasn't taught many of you that. And other people haven't built that up in you. And yet that's what your Heavenly Father thinks about you. Eve lived a number of years brokenhearted, but she didn't finish her life brokenhearted. What did God ask Eve to do? He asked her to be a mom again. The very source of her pain he said, trust me, Eve, I want you to go back there. And she did, and she got pregnant, and Seth was born. And then Seth grew up, got married, got pregnant, a grandson was born. And it was at that point that people started worshiping the Lord their God. Because Eve was willing to go back to her area of pain and submit her life to God. Her life was redeemed. Her pain was redeemed. God used her powerfully. God used her mightily to make a difference in her world around him. Ladies, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know how much you might be living still in brokenheartedness. 
But if you are, the final chapter of your lives has not been written yet. Let's bow our heads for a closing prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the Bible, for what you wrote in there, so, so that we could know and understand what you feel about creation, what you did, how you can redeem hurts. And Father, I lift up to you everybody that's brokenhearted, men or women, moms or dads, parents or non-parents, married or single. And I pray that you would heal their hurts, that your presence would come alongside them, and they would simply submit to you, put their hand in your hand, and simply walk with you and let you lead them, let you guide them, let you sustain them, let you redeem them. And as you ask them to do whatever it is that you want them to do, may they submit to that. For in that, their lives will be redeemed and their lives will have value and they will fulfill what God has put them here to do. And we thank you for that in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. And everyone in agreement with that said, amen. It's welcome.